You're listening to the Recovery Roadrunners podcast, the sobriety podcast for runners who want to get inspired, get informed, and start seeing results fast. Every Monday, we'll share current events, personal stories, and research on how to get sober, stay sober, and run smarter so that you can uplevel your life now. My co-hosts, Amber and Vinny, are at the Silver Moon 100 miler as we record this. Amber is running her first 100 miler with Vinny's crew. I can't wait to hear how that turns out, and I'm sure we'll discuss it in the next episode. Otherwise, my name is Doug Pinglis, Vice President of Recovery Roadrunners and an obsessed runner who has found a complete life transformation in sobriety and running. Our mission is to inspire you to ditch the booze and lace up those running shoes, so let's get moving. Today, we have an active member of Triple R and a super inspirational sober running badass, Joe Harden, as our guest. Joe is a sober ultra runner, father, amazing woodworker, writer, and sobriety advocate who truly finds joy in the process. Joe has been sober since 2019 and has overcome not just addiction, but mental health issues, suicidal ideation, and disordered eating. Let me tell you, I can relate to all of those things, and I can't wait to have this conversation. But first, I just want to share a quick update about my debacle of a marathon last weekend. And I'll I'll keep it brief because there's really not too much I can say. For anyone who's been following me, I had a big lead up and created some great anticipation for me to go to the A1A marathon down in Fort Lauderdale. That happened this past weekend. I had taken my taper weeks and I went into this Sunday just just dying to run. I was I was itching to go. And the course was a little confusing to me. I had never run it before and I made a wrong turn. I turned at the half marathon turnaround point as opposed to the marathon turnaround point. I was just completely zoned out. I don't know if there was someone there telling me I was making the wrong turn or what, I had my headphones on. And the thing is, I didn't realize it until uh, it was an out and back course until I had gone out, made the wrong turn. So I went back and back out again and I was about to make the wrong turn a second time. Someone bumped into me at that point and kept going to the left. And that's when it sort of clicked in my head that Oh no, like did I do something do something wrong here? And I still made the wrong turn uh there and I kept going back and when my watch hit uh, about 19 and a half miles and I saw mile marker number 22 I went, "Oh shit, I did something wrong." You know, I can complain all I want at the fact that the course didn't have mile markers every mile. The only ones I saw were 57, 22, 23 and 25. As you can tell, I'm not bitter by memorizing the mile markers that I saw. But yeah, I, I would have recognized that I, I did something wrong earlier. And it's one of those things, like anything in life, I take responsibility. I should have looked at the course uh, a little closer before I ran it. And the fact of the matter is, I wasn't trying to qualify for Boston at this run anyway. I was trying to hit about a 330 goal. I had a great 19 and a half mile run. I was keeping about an 820 pace. And I knew at that point I had a lot left in my legs to push that last 10K. So I'm just taking it as a training run. I was disappointed in the moment, obviously, but I got over it quickly. I'm able to laugh at myself. That's one of the gifts that sobriety has given me and just move on and learn from it. I haven't done a ton of marathons. So I also learned a lot about myself that day and just, just how to pace. And uh, Amber and Vinny, the training program they put together really helped me with that and being able to pace and, and having energy left to push the end of runs. So looking forward to the next one. My next marathon will be May 5th, the Revel White Mountains Marathon in New Hampshire. And I am hoping to destroy that one. Uh, I'll be going in with a little chip on my shoulder, I guess. So 
enough about me and that whole debacle. There was a lot else surrounding the A1A marathon. From what I understand, the course was longer than it was supposed to be. There were a lot of people complaining about that. Uh, the half marathon was like 0.4 miles longer. The full marathon was a full half mile longer. And some people missed out on qualifying for Boston because of that. And they sent out an email. And it's just one I, I don't think I'm going to go back to. That's that. So now that I've done my complaining, let's get on to the good part. We've got Joe Harden here, and how are you doing today, Joe? Oh, great. Can't complain. We finally got a little bit of sun in the in the Hoosier State, so I, I relished in that moment as much as I could before we had this. No complaints. Sunshiny day. Very so, nice. Um, yeah. No, I'm happy to hear that. I know you and I, we met through the Recovery Roadrunners Facebook group, and yeah. we've been chatting here and there, and I, I can say it's been really great to get to know you a little bit. I hope we can keep those conversations going. I'd like to start and just ask you, maybe tell me a little bit about your story. What is your history with alcoholism and addiction, you know, and what brought you to leading a sober life? Yes, certainly. I started drinking pretty young and smoking weed and, you know, doing whatever I kind of whatever I get my hands on. I lived in a pretty volatile household as a child. There was an adult in the house that verbally abused me and just degraded me. And I, I as a kid that struggled with learning disabilities and like anxiety and like all that stuff that just kind of like hit like that treatment from as a child just kind of fueled that fire. So like even in high school, I, I kind of see those trouble um, with drugs, you know, going on to college, you know, leaving that environment, it was just like all, you know, all hell broke loose. And I just went full in, like from the moment I realized like, like what drinking could do for me, it could make me like charming and funny and it could make me fit in. Like I, you know, that was something I never really could do before. You know, I ended up basically forming my entire, you know, like identity and all that stuff. And I carried that on, you know, up and up well into my late thirties. And, you know, obviously it wasn't fun anymore at that point. I was just trying, I was just drinking to, you know, sustain some level of like comfort and, you know, be able to function like normally. And along with alcohol, I had a really um, hard time with like benzodiazepine use and all, all, the, all those years of excess finally took its toll on me, like about my late thirties when I started really struggling with anxiety and depression. And um, I was going through a, a divorce from my, my kids' mom, Cassie. And like, you know, like an idiot, I, I remarried some, you know, I ended up remarrying another addict for my second marriage. And, you know, I had been on a pretty good bender uh, right, right around the time I got sober. I, you know, I just went hard in the paint this one, this one weekend. I actually got like thrown out of a bar, like head first. Like they used my head to open the door to get me out of this bar. I take off in my truck. And I'm driving, you know, I'm screaming down this highway. I had no business behind the wheel of a truck. And I ended up uh, driving off in like this ditch. And some, somehow I was able to like pull my truck back out of it. But I just had like this moment, like, I think I've shared this before. It's just like this overwhelming moment, like, this is killing me. Like, I'm going to die. And it's going to be that, you know, I die from, you know, overdosing or I'm going to kill myself because I was you know, really, really thinking about just kind of maybe calling it what it is. And it like, you know, maybe if I just took myself out of the equation, I didn't know who to turn to. I burned all my bridges. I felt, you know, hopeless, you know, deeply hopeless. So I called my ex-wife, like the mother of my children, the last person that should have ever picked up the phone and cared about me. You know, after all, I put her through and she picked up the phone like at three o'clock in the morning and we sat there and talked. The fact that someone that shouldn't even shouldn't even care to speak with me, like would take time. It like sunk in. It just meant so much to me that, you know, that someone still cared for me. And I, I just realized that was it. Like th this, this is the last time I'm going to do this. So that was the last drink I had December 1st, 2019. Like that's a date that's just like seared in my memory. It, 
I always call that like my rebirth, you know, it, it was, um, I just knew, I knew that was it. It was just, I I'd had so many rock bottoms and they just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And I, and I just, I was digging, obviously the next step is like death, right? I mean, that's what they say in AA, you know, jails, institutions are death, but, yeah. and I was certainly, I've certainly been to two of those. So what was the next one, you know, <laughs> being out of rehab and, you know, all that stuff. That's what led me to get sober. And it's been Every day is a gift, man. Like, it's just amazing. Like, you know, I, I've since reconciled with my first wife. I got my family back. Uh, Cassie, forgive me. That took a lot of work on her behalf. And I had to show her I wasn't who I used to be. So just every single day in sobriety is just amazing. I mean, you know, you know how it is. You're 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 sober, too. It's like not every day is a complete winner. But it's just like at the end of the day, you woke up sober. You went to bed sober. Man, that's a huge victory, you know, regardless of, you know, what transpired through the day it's every it's just beautiful so yeah that's how i got sober and and i'm just i mean it's to make the most of every single day and uh prove you know prove when i made up prove you know i, I want to show people who are you know my family like what what you can do when you really put your mind to stuff and that's kind of what led me down the ultra marathon path anyways but now i know why you're so easy to talk to because your story is my story there are so yeah. many similarities it's not even funny you know, same. Uh, when I started drinking, it, it was a solution for me. It was almost a, a, a spiritual experience the way I felt, although I realized it peaks quickly and it was a fake spiritual experience. But that allowed me to manage my life for a good period of time. And then it starts, you know, the anxiety starts to crush in. And then, yeah, I got on uh, Ativans and then that became whatever, I, you know, the Xanax or whatever I get my hands on. and. It was just trying to seek those shorter and shorter moments of peace and being able to function. Yeah, I got sober around the, the same time too, I believe. It was my late 30s when everything uh, crashed crashed around me. Yeah, I can just relate to so much, so much, especially the disordered eating. That was a huge thing. Yeah. I was uh, you know, morbidly obese my whole life. And I've gone through, I know also you're a writer. I had the opportunity on my recent trip to read through all of the, the pieces you wrote on your blog. Which is which is wonderful. I, I I know like I'm not that much farther ahead ahead of you as far as sobriety goes, and and really time doesn't matter. You know we all have today when it comes to it, but I could just remember feeling some of the same things around the same period of time that you were describing, and it was just incredible. You had uh, a photo in the blog post, my last rock bottom, of you just sort of as a a bit bit larger and more disheveled. And then uh, yeah. the version version of you now, and I just went, oh my god, that, you know, that's that's me, that's me, and it was so great to read read through that blog. Now let me ask you, you got on the topic of running for a second. Were you a runner at any point in your life, or did you find running in sobriety? I never ran ever until until sobriety. I hated running. I, I know that's like a cliche story, right? I hear that so many times in like sober runners or ultra runners. Mm -hmm. um, hated running as a kid, but so you mentioned like the weight loss, right? So I, I lost, you know, quite a significant amount of weight just getting sober right off the bat. So just from not drinking so much beer and whiskey, you know, I lost like 60 pounds on my first year sobriety birthday. Like in my family, we celebrate my sobriety birthday, not my regular birthday. I don't even care about my regular birthday, whatever. I'm in my forties, you know, like who cares? But we make a pretty big deal about my sobriety birthday. So we go out to eat and right next to this uh, restaurant is this gym that my wife goes to. And she's like, you know, for like your first year, you know, you got a point like I would like to, you know, maybe move, move my body some more. 
so uh, we we pop in there, and you know they my wife at the time worked worked in EMS, so she got like you know like the law enforcement discount and all that stuff. So I can't make any more excuses at this point. Like, so I joined the gym, and I have like this saying in sobriety: it's like I didn't half-ass being an addict, I'm not going to half-ass getting sober. So you know, I used to go in really early, about four or five in the morning, because like at the time I was just embarrassed to be exercising in public. So I just started moving. You know, walking on the treadmill, you know, whatever. And now, you know, and, and then that would progress to like walking on the treadmill with an incline. And then I figured I'd pick up some some weights here and there. And I saw a flyer at the gym for the gravy chase, the local gravy chase. I'm just like, I have it, you know, so I come home, I rush home at like six in the morning. My wife's up getting ready for work. Like, do you think it would be like a batshit crazy idea to try and do a 5K this upcoming um November, you know, we're almost to my two year at this point. And, you know, my wife's like, this is awesome. Like we should go for it. And so I trained for it. The day came, we ran it. And as soon as we were done, and it's like, like the race was cool. Like it was awesome. Like gravy chases are fun. But I was like, I, I just love training for it. Like, so I think we've talked about this. We're process runners. So it's like from the get go, I've just loved training. So I've basically, I've been chasing that ever since. And that led to half marathons. We did the Indy Mini. We may get to do it this year. I don't know. I've got a pretty busy ultra season. Then I, you know, I thought, well, if I can do that, I can do a 50K maybe. I, I went, you know, I skipped right past uh, marathon for whatever, whatever reason, you know, it's, it's all or nothing. You know, we're addicts, you know how that is, but I ended up doing a 50K at a backyard. And then I did a 50K that following December. And, you know, I'm just, I just love them. I love being in the moment. I love that, that grind of training. So that's how. You know, I went from 5K to 50K. That's a huge jump, but that's how my mind works. And I mean, I just love training for these things. So that's how, you know, I kind of how I got into that. But be a, a great name for a book, 5K to 50K. <laughs> Skip everything in between. <laughs> Here's a question for you, because I don't know that I've heard this before. What's a gravy chase? It's like the Thanksgiving Day, like turkey trot thing they've got here oh okay Makes and i sense. love it i still i still do it yeah I just, i'll never forget like my home 5k is like where it all started so it's, it's like a like a special thing like now my daughter will do it with me she's 11 years old and i think it's my job or my family's always kind of been about like drinking and maybe not being necessarily healthy and i, and I feel like it's it's going to be my duty to kind of change that mindset at least with my family anyways that's so spectacular that you're sober and clear-minded and in a, a place that you can do that. I mean, that's definitely one of the gifts of sobriety as well, I'm sure, being there for your children. Now, I know you found, and we've had this conversation before, talking about how sobriety has led us into certain creative endeavors. And there are things that I didn't even know were inside of me that start to come out the longer that I'm sober and the longer that I investigate and do you know, internal work on myself. One of the things that you are extremely good at is woodworking. And let me just tell you, I, I uh, had purchased, for those that don't know, I purchased a couple pieces uh, from Joe. He has a website where he sells these items. I got, um, what, what's the term you use for it? The tea container. Oh, the tea box, yeah. Yeah, the tea box, the tea box. And I got a bowl as well. And I was deciding which one to give to one of my friends uh, for his birthday. And I decided on the tea box and my, my friend Barry is quite a handy person himself. He does a little bit of woodworking. And when I gave this to him, I explained where it came from. He, he looked at the piece. He was going, look at how the cover fits into this. He was like, this is incredibly <laughs> precise work. You know, who, who made this? Like, 
really, really knows what they're doing. And I gave him the history of the wood and how a piece came from your property and everything. And he was really touched. And let me tell you, you let me hit a home run out of the park as far as a gift goes for that. So thank, thank you for that. Also, you wrote a wonderful blog post about this called It All Started With a Tape Measure. And I love in that how you talk about your grandfather and you talk about all that he had taught you and you even described the, the smells of the woodworking. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that came into your life and how this craft mixes in with your sobriety as well? Oh, yeah. Woodworking plays as big a part in my sobriety as running. I mean, if anything, if not bigger. So as a kid, my grandpa was a woodworker and he was pretty like locally well known in, in, in his area for woodworking. And I always loved it as a kid. And uh, when I was uh, my, I mean, I was detoxing. I mean, I guess, I guess just to come out and say it, like bluntly, I was like dope sick from uh, benzodiazepine and withdrawing like really badly from alcohol. And it was during COVID and I didn't know about like online meetings. So I was just like, just like gutting out this like really painful process. And I called my aunt and uncle because they're the, they're, they're the people that they were always a huge support, even when I was at my lowest moments. So I go out there and I meet them in their wood shop. And um, my aunt just hands me like a chunk of wood. She, and I remember I remember walking into that shop. I was like, this reminds me of Grandpa's shop. And so that smell, like, like I love, I, I get to have that in my own shop, which is fine. I hope, I hope maybe I can, I can pass that down to my kids, but not to go down that rabbit hole, but. I took this piece of wood, I mounted it in the wood lathe, and she's like, just turn, just turn. And I just remember like being so like present in that moment. And I didn't really have like a thought in my mind, which is something that someone with like severe anxiety, like my mind is always like is always racing. So it was just um like transformational to have like that creative process. And I like it's almost like a runner's high, but it's like you get like a creative, like a creative high. And I still get that every time. Just kind of like throw everything out, out to the third thing out of your mind and just kind of like let your ego go and just create something. And and then, you know, if you feel good about it enough, share it, share it. Like, and that's humbling and it's scary. Like, you know, I, I struggle with like the term, like I'm a an artist, like a woodworker, but I really love like expressing myself creatively. It's in those moments that you really learn like who you are. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, that's a huge thing. I we could go for hours. I could go for hours. Let me just tell you: the longer you're sober, and that you build up self confidence and that self worth again, you'll be able to call yourself those things. I struggled with that heavily for you know four, five, six years in sobriety. I couldn't call myself a runner. I couldn't call myself an artist. And the fact of the matter is, you are. So if you're not ready to call yourself that, I'm going to, I call you that, you know, you're a writer, you're a woodworker, you're an artist, you're a badass runner, all of those things. And uh, you just need to come to believe that. I don't know if you've ever watched like a American Idol or any of those kinds of shows. I always used yeah. to talk about this where they'd have people come on who had the biggest egos and they go, oh, I'm the best singer ever. And they would be terrible. Then you have sort of someone come in who doesn't have confidence and they're sort of meek. And then all of a sudden they belt out and it's the most glorious singing you've ever heard. And I, I think I can, at least speaking for myself, that's a problem that addicts have. I had a very low self-worth. I hated myself and I couldn't take on these identities. And that's what we get to do in sobriety is, is rewrite our identities and become the things that we were intended to be. So I think on your sobriety journey, you're definitely finding the things that you were intended to be. 
And we've discussed it a little bit as well. Another aspect of, of you, uh, which is amazing, is you're a writer and you, you've got your blog. And I know you've shared with me that you have some interest in working on a, a book in the future. Were you always a writer? Did you write a lot in high school or is it similar to your uh, trajectory with running? It's very similar to my tra trajectory with running. I, I just needed like an outlet, right? So just kind of journaling and I learned through like doing like testimonies and stuff. You know, I learned that I do have like a voice um, that's helpful to others. And um, I was like, well, you know, I've been like writing for a while. Like this is kind of something I was saying to myself. I was like, well, maybe I should publish these things. And I published a few of them. And some of them were like kind of about woodworking. And then I just, you know, I would just like post and ghost. I didn't know anybody was paying attention. And then I like looked back on my WordPress because I didn't really know how to navigate my WordPress um, in the beginning. And I saw like this is resonating with people. So and it's not like I feel like I'm obligated, but I think I need I think I'm at the point in my sobriety where I need to share what I went through in hopes that it'll serve other people that are going going through what I had gone through. Like, I, you know, that I felt lonely. You know, I felt like I was the only one. And I almost feel like with this second chance in life, I owe it to help others by sharing like my story and in hopes that I can help one other person. And right around that time, I got, uh, I had like a local newspaper reach out to me over, over that blog post. And I, I got to do that opportunity and posting those things. It's resonating with people. And that's really what I, what I was setting out for. And I'm really glad you, you as you know, it takes a lot of guts to share something you write. You're, you're really like putting, you're really being vulnerable with the world potentially. That's a goal that I've pushed for myself this year is to be more honest and more vulnerable. And it was hard early on because there was so much shame involved and, and I, I was ashamed. And it took a lot of work to get to that point where you realize that you can turn those those negatives and those uh, experiences into a positive for someone else. And I'm so glad that you're you're doing that in your life. You mentioned the word alone, you know, and that's something I felt very very much in my life. You talk about this on the blog as well, finding friendship and sobriety. And I think you may have had some similar experiences to me, where well. At the end of my drinking, I had pretty much alienated just about everybody anyway, so I didn't really have much in the way of friends at that point. But coming into sobriety, it was, while it was a second chance at life, it was like I had to rebuild everything. And it was finding a whole new set of friends and, and learning what that was and, you know, weeding out who I should be hanging around with and, and who I had no business hanging around with uh, anymore. And I honestly can say I found true friends uh, in sobriety who care about me for me. And I think you may have found that as well. And you do work at a local recovery center, Life's Journey Recovery Center. And I think you mentioned, did you find something similar where you found just this new category of friendship with people that I didn't even have the capability to have when uh, I was drinking? I didn't even have that capacity to be a friend. <laughs> uh, have you found something similar? Yes, yeah, certainly. I I, I've made some of the best friendships in these four years that, you know, I didn't even know what like true friendship was like, to, like, like, right. you, like you mentioned people that actually care about you. Like, like when you quit, like when you quit drinking or quit doing drugs, like you really, you learn really quickly how superficial all those like friends were, you know, they just quit coming around. I mean, it turns out we shouldn't be around them anyways. Like I've, I've found like great friends. I mean, all, everybody at triple R and uh, life's journey has given me, some of the strongest bonds I've got, you know, others in recovery. I get to rub elbows with people of the cloth and both sides of the coin, people who have come from the lowest of lows and have really pulled, like, there's these, the stories are amazing that I'm seeing coming out of these rooms. People 
like me, like, you know, no one ever thought I would change now. Um, it's just, it's a miracle um, to see. And I, and I think that keeps me sober more than anything, just seeing like the miracle of sobriety work in the work that's happening every single day in these recovery centers and these meeting rooms is it's um the most beautiful thing i've ever experienced it's nice to call people like true friends people who care about you so yeah certainly you know, it's a little time to get used to when you burn every bridge you know people will just kind of give up on you you know so it's it's nice to have like true backing by people like genuine people i couldn't agree more my life now is nothing that i ever imagined but everything i always hoped it could be which is just amazing. Let me loop back to, to running for a second. I know you jumped from 5Ks to, to 50Ks. I know you've got some big runs coming up. Grind on the grid backyard. You're hoping to, to hit 50 miles or, or more for that. And I know a lot of our listeners and people in Triple R, they're all big Rich Roll fans. And I know when I read Finding Ultra, well, I listened to it as an audiobook. When I listened to it, there was just this one phrase he used that just clocked me in the head. And it was something that I didn't realize that I enjoyed or that I was searching for. And that was finding bliss in depletion. Do you find, uh, and again, you said you're a process runner, you love the training more than anything. Do you find that when you've just pushed yourself to that point where you know you you've you've run so much that you find bliss? In depletion? Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, I, I think today I wrote something. I wrote like a weird little, kind of like a poem today about finding like comfort between suffering and serenity is like, I had this like random thought today, like this nice groove. And I was just like, man, there's like a beautiful spot between suffering and serenity. I know that was a weird little jaunt we just took. But yeah, I certainly agree with that. It's like, there's something about like the process of like the long, like this long run, this long grind where you like, you almost kind of break yourself down but then you like rebuild. I love those moments. Like that's what I'm here for. Like I, I love the, I love the work. I love like digging in those run and just rolling long slogs. That's where I find like, it's like my nirvana. It's like when you're just like, when you're just alone with nothing, just the sound of your feet and that's it. That's like, you know, that's, that's the moment when you're just on the edge of just kind of, Kind of breaking down, but rebuilding at the same time. I am so looking forward to a couple of the longer runs that I have set for myself this year. I haven't as yet officially dipped into any ultras. I ran a 50K and like a few 29, 30 milers on my own just for fun, because <laughs> that's fun, right? And, <laughs> it's <was> fun. <laughs> yeah, but I've got, I've got a couple 50Ks and a 36 miler coming up. And yeah, I look forward to that feeling. And you just said something that struck me as well, where you talked about how during those runs, you, you break down in order to rebuild yourself. And that's exactly what we have to do in recovery. We have to break down, you know, the, the, the ego and the low self-worth and, and all of these bad habits and a lot of trauma uh, that led to these things and rebuild ourselves in the, the image that we were supposed to be. And just when you said that, I went, oh, this, it makes so much sense why so many folks in recovery get into running and in particular ultra running. I'm super impressed by everyone in the triple R group who just seems so casually to go out there and run 50 Ks, 100 Ks, 50 milers, 100 milers. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm sure I'll be joining the, the party on that soon. I've got my focus on the marathons at the moment, but uh, that, that's me. We talked a little bit about diet. 
in my drinking days, I was, well, most of my adult life, I was morbidly obese. I lived on a diet of uh, fast food and excess. Uh, I think you you mentioned um, you were heftily overweight in your drinking days, but now you live plant-based. I'm going to guess you weren't always plant-based. And is that something that you found in sobriety and that you found in the running community as well? Yeah. Starting out with running, I wasn't plant-based at first. And then going like going back to uh, Rich Roll, I listened to so much of him. I was like, finally, he just wore me down. You know, like, and I was just like, all right, like, there's got to <laughs> be something to this. Because I like, you know, there's there, obviously there's so much inspiration in the sobriety and, and um, running world to draw from. But I really resonated with his. Oh, another this other engineer, and he was he was a he's a vegan, and he challenged me. He's just like he's like, all right, you're feeling better. He's like, you're looking better. He's like, when are you gonna start going plant based? I was like, it will never happen. You know, like give me animals for life. You know, whatever. And he's like, well, he's just like, just do lunches, do just do plant based lunches for a month. And I did that for a while, and my run and runs are going great. Recovery is going better. And I'm just like, wow, like this, I think this has got to be it, right? And obviously to fund an ultra, it's like, that's it. Like, um, I'm going to go plant-based. Like, I don't know, you know, it's it's working for me. I feel great. My energy is awesome. And they're just like, I feel more connected to like the earth in a weird way. I don't want to like go down some weird um, like rabbit hole there, but like just eating plants, it's like you're, connect, you're connected to earth in a, in a weird way. And it just makes me feel really good to like have this full plate with all these different colors. And like, to me, that's like, you know, that's joy. So I went plant-based for a while. We went down to my in-laws for a cookout during that time and they had smoked brisket and I ate some smoked brisket and felt terrible. Like I just felt like I was all swelled up and I, I felt gross and greasy and that that's it. I was like, I'm done. Like, you know, and now I live in like a plant-based, you know, a plant-based echo chamber. I wouldn't go back now. It, just, it started out just trying to do it for health. And now I just feel like it's, you know, it's a it's a good thing to do. You know, I, I don't, um, I used to be an avid deer hunter and bird hunter and like all this stuff. And I could never, I don't think I could ever go back to even hurting animals anymore. I, <laughs> you know, so my reason has changed overall health. And then now it's slowly shifting to more of like a moral thing for me. You know, Amber and Vinny are, are vegans. And they tout the plant-based lifestyle. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not there. But all that being said, when I started to learn more about my nutrition, which was fairly recently, I mean, even as, as recently as a couple of years ago, I was still up around 250 pounds. Every nutritionist I've worked with always says, more vegetables. Vegetables are good for you. You can never get enough vegetables. Eat the rainbow of vegetables. And that's something that I definitely try and do. And I'm, I'm a big seafood fan uh, my, myself. That's my, my go-to. But yeah, I, I've heard from so many runners uh, about how the plant-based life helps with recovery and you've never felt better. Like you said, how Rich Roll beat you down. Uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm ever going to make the switch, but I keep hearing it. And, you know, there's got to be something to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like I'll tell somebody like, hey, this will make you feel better, but you have to do it. You have to do do what works for you too at the same time. I've tried to get off of all of the processed crap to eat whole foods, to eat, you know, uh, you know, the farm raised uh, grass fed uh, beef and that, that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I eat a hell of a lot cleaner than I ever did, which is, which is good. 
You recently got asked to be a writer for uh, Run Try Mag. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, Run Try Bike. Run, 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 run Try Mag.com is their online presence. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, um, and you just did an interview with someone. I saw you post about it, and I, I can't wait to read what this is all about. I, I went and ran to Instagram and, and checked them out. And certainly, you don't have to ruin the article or anything, but can you tell me a little bit about how you came across him, if you feel like it, and, and who he is? Oh, certainly, because I want to tell everybody about, about Cam, Cameron Balzer. So Prairie on Fire last last year, which I'm doing it again. So I'm, I think I was maybe six miles into it, and I kept running into this group of people with this guy, Cameron, and my buddy, who now my friend, my good friend, Eric, kept linking up at the same place. And and I was there alone, you know, I don't know anything about backyards or pacing. So I was kind of, I was kind of going out, you know, going out hot. And so either way, I started talking to these guys and we were doing like this run walk thing for probably like 16 miles together. You know, you know, when you see somebody running, you're like, you can tell like there's something special about that person. So I was like, I have to talk to this guy. You could tell he's doing what he's like made to be doing and running is what Cam is certainly made to be doing. And uh, more and more I talked to him, I realized like this man's this man's mindset is fantastic. And he, um, I ended up, like I said, ended up sharing about 16 miles with him. And then um, my buddy Eric, who they, like all these guys are banding together, like like that day was going to be my my PR, and they were like, we're all going to do what we can to get you to your PR. So it's a cool like, experience running a backyard and running with Cam. So as soon as I got the opportunity to start writing as like a guest writer, I was like, I can I interview people? And they're like, absolutely. So I had to interview Cam to get his outlook on life and just in general. And then as, as I've shared, as you can see on Instagram, he is actually running the entirety of the perimeter of the United States. So while the interview was happening, like he had, he was like running while I was interviewing him. So it was like so cool. Like he was having to take like breaks throughout the day because it was getting kind of hot. Like not only did I get the interview with the guy, I got to like get him in his element after we got through like the Q and a kind of format. Like we had like a conversation after that and he's just like, all right, man, let's talk Prairie on fire. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to run a hundred miles. So I accidentally let Cam like hype me up into, we're just going to leave it all out there on Prairie on fire. Um, I, Prairie on fire last year, I quit after 50 K. I wanted to run smart, but as soon as I got my car, I immediately regretted stopping at 50 K. So kind of what you were saying, like this year, Prairie on fire is my redemption. I'm going to run Prairie on fire till I don't have an ounce left in me. I'm going to get a chance to run with Cam again. I'm going to get a chance to interview him again. It's It's been amazing. Some of the people I've met along the way, you know, I just never would think I'd get these opportunities. If I was drinking, I would never have gotten any opportunities. I wouldn't have had the guts to put myself out there to even be around, you know, any of these people. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super gas. <laughs> I, I understand the disappointment in the moment, certainly. They're all learning experiences. And, and you know, being being a process runner, it's it's all process. It's all journey. We do these things because they're hard. I'm confident you're going to get back at that one and just kill it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I need it, man. Like, I, as soon as I got in my car, I was just like, oh, it's like, why would I do that? Like, but I was trying to run smarter or whatever. And sometimes that's, it can be my strong suit and downfall. There's no in between with me. I think I've heard someone else say I'm good at two things. I'm good at excess and abstinence. So it's like, I was trying to, but I don't care. I'm, I'm leaving it all out there for Prairie in September. They're going to have to scoop me off that course. That's my plan. Uh -huh.
<laughs> well, I, I hope you get over the finish line of your own two legs rather than the other way. So <laughs> let me just ask for anyone who's listening, who may be newly sober or who may just be getting into running, is there any advice you want to give to our listeners about your experience in early sobriety, any tips or any tips you want to give about getting into running? I think the big tip would of course, sobriety is finding your tribe is a big thing. And I'm, I'm so glad that I felt like a good group of people in sobriety to help me through it. Because it may seem like you're alone and no one cares, but there are so many people out there in recovery rooms, online rooms that are there to help you and they really want to help you. And the same with running. You know, there's tons of people that genuinely want to help you and running, running, trail running, ultra running, road running. They're the greatest people. And they all understand what you're going through. And you know, a good amount of runners have a uh, recovery story as it is or something they went through. I mean, that's, there's a reason why most of us are out there doing all these hard things. And don't be afraid to reach out because there's it's there's so many people that want to help and back you up and cheer you on. And and it's just incredible. It's an incredible community. The sobriety community and the running community, they're both awesome. So just don't be afraid to reach out. People care. There's lots of people that care. You hear Amber talk about it all the time. You've heard me say it. Community is the opposite of addiction. Community is how we battle uh, addiction. And definitely surrounding yourself with positive people with similar goals is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. Not just for alcoholics or addicts, just anyone in the world. It's beneficial, definitely. I want to end with a quote from your blog that I loved very much. Yeah. Uh, was the one you, you wrote about your um, fourth year of sobriety. And it goes, we have many seasons in life. This is my season to foster some space for internal growth, spend time looking deep inside myself, and start doing that work, however terrifying and exciting that can sometimes be. The takeaway is to learn more about myself to be a better me, father, husband, and advocate, and keep sharpening my iron, as I like to say lately. It would be a disservice to others if I didn't learn my why in this exciting fourth year of my journey. I love that so much. Nice. Yeah, man. I want to thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you.